0: And welcome back to the NeuroDiverging Podcast. I'm Danielle Sullivan. I am your host. I am so excited to be back after our little summer hiatus. To bring us back with a bang, I'll be talking to Todd Ellis, an ADHDer who's been at Microsoft for 20 years and has just finished training as an ADHD coach. We had so much to talk about, we had trouble staying on topic. It's a great show. Before we get to that, I just want to thank my patrons for supporting this podcast. The podcast runs on patron donations, and if you are interested, I encourage you to please check out patreon.com neurodiverging. You can find out more about how to pledge to the Neurodiverging podcast to keep us running, keep us in business, get some very excellent behind-the-scenes perks. The Patreon is at patreon.com slash neurodiverging. Pledges start at just a buck a month, and you are supporting the podcast, the website, and underserved Neurodiverging clients who uh, could use the scholarships to access coaching so it is very appreciated and a quick plug of course for the website at neurodiverging.com where you can find articles about neurodivergent issues full transcriptions of the podcast and a list of upcoming events I'm hosting the vast majority of which are free or low cost I do monthly webinars I host support groups I teach classes so come join us now let me tell you about our guest Todd Ellis he has been at microsoft for the past 20 years and is a co-lead for a global group of neurodivergent individuals within that company he's also adhd dyslexic and has just finished his training as an adhd coach todd co-hosts the schooling struggle podcast link below please check that out and our conversation range from how to approach neurodiversity and accommodations in a multicultural huge company like microsoft to what it was like for todd to be diagnosed adhd as a kid but not really dig into what it meant until middle age and how we each got into coaching, and why we do it, plus lots and lots of other diversions—hopefully of the amusing and educational persuasion—you will have to let me know. Enjoy. Hit it. You ready? Let's go. Todd, welcome to the Neurodiverging Podcast. It's good. Hey, to see thanks you for again. having me. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for being here.
1: How's it going, Daniel?
0: It's doing okay. As we were just talking about, it is evening here. I've had a full day of coaching clients, so I'm 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 feeling a little like you know. Uh, let's go. Ready fun. to be done. Ready to be, but also <laughs> very excited to talk to you because oh. I like we've met briefly before and talked a little bit, but it's nice to like see you. I think it's been yep. like a whole year, hasn't it? It's
1: been oh yeah, it's been a covid uh, <laughs> covid speed bump.
0: Yeah, That's exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's been a while for sure. <laughs> it's all right, though. Yeah. So what's new with you? What's going on over there?
1: Well, you know, aside from COVID, uh,
0: <laughs> the end, the
1: enduring, the, yeah. What do we call it? The blur. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So funny. People talk about, it, they're like, Oh, remember when this started? I was like, oh, no, I don't no. actually remember when that started. Uh, but not now really nothing's new. Um, no, I think we talked about ADCA. So I finished my, uh, my coaching, um, class anyways, I haven't got accredited yet, but, um, that's something that I was following up on. And then, uh, Still, just enduring the day to of, day of life in this new normal. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. Are you still working at Microsoft? I do work you... at
1: Microsoft. Actually, uh, what's today? The
0: 623.
1: 23rd. So, on 722 of 22 will be uh, 20 years that I've been working at Microsoft.
0: Wow.
1: I know. That's what I said. I didn't back like, Wow.
0: Congratulations. Yeah.
1: Thanks. I never thought I'd be there for six months, let alone 20 years. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: Well, especially in that, uh, kind of realm of jobs, people jump every two-ish years or so, right? Nowadays so, they do for sure. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah. Maybe not yeah. when you started.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know. Like that, didn't needs to be a thing where the jumping was, um, that's kind of a, with the newer, now I'm dating myself with the young kids, the newer generation, like, uh, you know, their interests just take them. Well, and I think the industry supports it too, but their, their interests take them in different ways. And there's so much to do in that industry that, you know, jumping around just makes more sense. Plus if you want to go for the money you have to jump around sometimes. So,
0: I mean, yeah, absolutely. That's kind of an important, especially for people starting off and and just getting into their career, right. That you need an income. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you're an ADHD, or for folks who, who don't know you, oh, <laughs> you're yeah. an ADHD, you've just completed kind of the initial part of your uh, program to become an ADHD coach. You've Correct. been at Microsoft for 20 years. Yep. What else should folks know about you
1: um, after going
0: to into this conversation?
1: Yeah, I have, uh, <laughs> I have uh, ADHD and dyslexia, and I've been that way since, well, probably since I was born, but I got diagnosed when I was eight. I'm uh, 46 now, so it's been a while. It's been a minute that I've been knowing that. <laughs> Uh, and I've taken a lot of drugs to deal with that in my life. <clears throat> um, I have four children and two grandchildren. Um, my youngest son is 19, so I'm again aging myself. Uh, <laughs> I have two redheaded stepchildren, which are going to be just like me, which is obviously terrible. <laughs> looking looking at that, I, I've I realized that uh, one of the blessings of grandparenting that you don't you don't know it. oh i didn't know you don't know ahead of time is that um it will expose garing glaring gaps in your own efficacy as a parent <clears throat> mm-hmm. and so those are now becoming very evident <laughs> for my <laughs> for my daughter and my and myself so it's that's kind of funny um what else uh i'm never going to go i'm never going to commute back to work again decided that yeah so, so i can't imagine
0: nice. yep. going to an office situation ever Ever. No,
1: definitely not now. Thank God yeah. for the pandemic, right? Like, look right. what we've look what we finally found. We could be <sighs> equitable. That's fantastic. And gas prices, at least mm-hmm. here, I'm in Seattle, and we're nearing six dollars a gallon, which yeah. just seems ludicrous to me. But
0: we're at I five five yes. fifty here. Last I yeah. checked, I actually have to uh, refill my tank, so I will find out tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. and you're not really but, looking uh, for. Go to
1: Costco. That's the best place.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, so let's. We have. We have many things that we could talk about. Nice. Um, one of them that I was interested in is you were you said you were diagnosed ADHD, dyslexic when you were eight, and I feel like the understanding of both of those things, really of ADHD mm. and dyslexia, have changed actually so much. I should I should
1: clarify I've never actually been um, clinically diagnosed mm-hmm. dyslexic but through my l- work with neurodiversity and through the way that words and numbers swim across pages <laughs> for me i'm pretty sure that i'm dyslexic so i just say that as a comorbidity but it's not official
0: thanks for clarifying but we yep. also we accept self <laughs> self identifications I mean, here i feel like there's so many people who are left out of the traditional
1: yeah diagn- and it but, costs so much money it's ridiculous oh,
0: exactly like there's all sorts of equity issues around the, the diagnoses and you yep. know as a as a woman you know Uh, with autism, a lot of our traits aren't in the, you know, what doctors are looking for. So there's all sorts of exclusions, people of color get left out, everybody gets left out. Absolutely. But what I was going to ask is, having kind of had this identity for such a long portion of your life, as opposed to someone like me, and a lot of our listeners who were identified in their 30s, 40s, 50s. Mm -hmm. um, Have you seen attitudes towards ADHD change a lot in the past couple of decades? And like, is there any, how do people treat you now versus when you're a kid, are there a lot of differences?
1: Yeah, that's a that's a that's a very interesting question. Um, I've been working on my pregnant pause. How you like that? <laughs> it's it's going really well.
0: <laughs> I'm you. not good at that. Thank you. <laughs> um,
1: I think I think it, I think it really depends. I think there's two different ways um, that I see it. I think I think one way that I see it is through. Um, so, so to add a little context, at Microsoft, like I, I co-lead a, a global group of neurodivergent individuals through within our company, and so as I navigate that group, I, I see it from the perspective of the mass, the like the like like you said, the people like yourself who 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 are the listeners who have maybe just recently learned this about themselves later in life, but then I also see this through my own lens of of growing up and how i've experienced it so when i think about my own lens i think about um my experience obviously was um heavy for me but i think that in my sharing of that it allows other people to like release their own reservations about kind of the grief that they feel about looking back on their lives like oh i just figured out this thing and now you know, look what I could have been. And, you know, then the, then there's like this overwhelming shame and all these things. Not to say that that doesn't come with both of them, but um, holistically, I think, especially since COVID, I think that um, there's a much more broad awareness and acceptance of all things um, neurodivergent, but ADHD, I think is always kind of one of those ones where people's like, Oh, you know, one in seven. And then they're like, well, you're not so special, but it, it doesn't really matter because I'm not looking to be special. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't make my brain work any better that you think <laughs> that you're more like me than, than, than you're not. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so there's that, but um, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question, but, but I think that, I think it's, I think it's loosening up. And I think that people as a whole are becoming more accepting that there are actually differences that um, that can add positive values as opposed to setting us apart.
0: Mm-hmm. So. There is still stigma against a lot of neurodivergences, but you're seeing that at least with ADHD, it's becoming less, at least in certain spaces, over yeah.
1: time. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I think I, actually, I think overall, it's it's becoming a little better. I think there's still a lot of um, lost clarity in what like what does neurodivergent mean? Like, you know, what like what does that encompass? And why are all these things grouped under there? And is mental health fit in there? Like, there's there's like a lot of gray areas, right? And then another part that I see too is um, different cultures. So like Mm -hmm. at Microsoft, we're, you know, we're a melting pot of, you know, everywhere you can imagine. And like in Asia, we don't talk about this. Mm -hmm. Like I, like I'll be on a panel in the morning in Indonesia and they're like, and I'm like wondering when I was prepping for it earlier, she's like, you know, the lady who's going to lead the panel was talking about, you know, just, just trying to be, you know, very inspiring to people that they can, you know they can you know support their family or you know ask better questions about this thing and i was like yeah but if that's not your culture if it's not like their culture that i don't want to feel like i'm like over here just you know spewing my privilege about how cool i am in the united states about how you guys could do so much better so i i but i do know that definitely and like you were saying earlier and like uh, minorities and you know differently represented groups i think that there is still a, a lot to come up to even to where we're at you know the, yeah. that we take for granted so yeah, yeah. there's a lot of different aspects
0: and I've heard from other um, guests who are located in like Great Britain or Australia, where they are kind of as a as a group, like to speak very broadly um, where with neurodiversity, especially with autism, which I know a little bit more about, but perhaps with ADHD too, is just like leagues ahead of where the US is generally in terms of support programs, general public understanding, how schools yeah. treat it, all that kind of stuff. So
1: I would say, yeah, yeah I've talked to some people in Australia recently who and I don't, I, I don't, I don't follow politics or the news or anything at all, but some of the things that they say in the, in the Australian political arena are just like, so against inclusion that it, it sometimes is just flabbergasting. I was like, yeah. what? So I don't know, like some, and I think in some ways they're ahead, but in some ways, mm-hmm. you know, there's just always these discrepancies. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
0: No, that makes a lot of sense. Thanks. Yeah. And so you're part of this neurodiversity team at Microsoft. Yeah. And- have you been doing that for a long time? Uh,
1: we started it, I think, about five years ago. So, okay. um, yeah, it nice. was just it was a couple of us who um, late at night like found some 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 artifact that somebody left over, and we sent a mail to it, and nobody ever responded. So we we're like, we could do better than this, and mm-hmm. so we started building a, a community around that, and it's become pretty big. So, yeah,
0: yeah. What yeah. are some of the pieces of that? Like, what do you what do you do? What do you what does the team offer for?
1: Um, so I think the biggest piece about, um, what we offer is is the community and the support. And so, um, a lot of, most of the people that come there that we welcome to the group are are like, I never knew this existed, or there's more people like me. And I, like, I would have never thought to, to look for that at work. And so that's, that's like the biggest piece that's most mm-hmm. inspiring, I think, to me. And then um, on the other side of that is, you know, obviously Microsoft has tons of cash. I mean, we pretty much make it ourselves and it's cool to, to know that you can leverage a corporation of that size mm-hmm. in, in ways that, you know, a lot of places can't do, or a lot of people never can fathom, like, you know, we create, you know, narrative hiring programs, and then we go out into the wild and like, how can other companies do this? We share what we learn with them to do that. And then just different ways of inclusion and, you know, accessibility and things, things like that, that are clearly just privileged levers, you know, but I, but it's really cool to have billions of dollars, you know, (laughs) you can kind of like toy with things as experiments. And then, Mm And then learn those things, and then share them outward. I think that that's really cool, but um yeah, aside from that, it's just hooking people up with accommodations is another another big thing. um people it, it, people in the United States anyways, and it obviously differs by region, but um the the protected class of disability, and if you fall into that, you know offers you um certain workplace accommodations, benefits, mm-hmm. things like that. So explaining that and, and pointing people to get hooked up with those things that they never knew existed is also um, somewhere that I, I filled me with joy to do that. But
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, that's cool. How does Microsoft, I don't know if you know the answer to this, so feel free to redirect me or rephrase me. But so you mentioned the, like uh, America's with Disability Act, right? That mm-hmm. su- supports accommodations for people with certain sort of labels. And ADHD doesn't, to my knowledge, fall under that. Uh, category, right? So mm-hmm. how does Microsoft approach, or how does your team approach, I guess, whichever level you feel comfortable answering for, um, kind of inclusivity and support for folks who kind of aren't covered by the ADA, but still could use some some extra?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's another one of those things where, you know, we... I won't speak for Microsoft, but I kind of will, because it's, it's kind <laughs> of a thing like I'm, it's not official Microsoft talk, yes, post, understood. but the uh, like, we're in a position where we, so our mission is to empower everybody in the world to, to do better. Right. Mm-hmm. And so we kind of take that to heart. So, I mean, we fail a lot. Don't get me wrong. But, but when we, but where we're able to, I think that we are able to spread the benefits across the board in a, in a way that is um, inclusive of everybody wherever we can. So unless it's, unless it's forbidden by law, you're going to, you're going to by and large get the same benefits wherever we are able to give those to whoever. So there's not really a clear delineation of, are you, are you official or are you not? It's just mm-hmm. your benefits are going to cover. So, yeah.
0: that's all. So you really are coming at it from this perspective that anybody who needs something enough to ask for it or make it known that they yep. uh, would like it. Could access it without a lot of like proof. Of, That's of pretty our, much the verbiage.
1: Yeah. Is, yeah. is you don't have to bring a diagnosis. If it's a reasonable request, they're yeah. just going to grant it. Right. And which is cool.
0: That's awesome. That's because yeah. I, I have talked to so many guests and so many uh, clients too, who have reported a lot of difficulty with their workplace accommodations, even when they come in with a, a very complex diagnosis and yeah. a lot of paperwork to support that. So yeah. do you have ideas about, or maybe in your work that you've already done, Sort of coming up with these systems and then dispersing them to other companies who who want that. Um, What are some of like the basics of a good workplace accommodation plan that have been most helpful at Microsoft or that you've? Yeah, so so
1: there's I think there's two different sides. There's definitely two different sides that I see contrast. One is um, due to like labor laws, right? So Mm -hmm. um, at Microsoft, we have full-time employees. We have uh, interns that come, you know, frequently every year or so. And then we have what we call contingent staff. So Mm -hmm. um, people who who vendor or contract to Microsoft. And so... um, Our company has what's known as employee resource groups. So ERGs is is the acronym for that. Some of them call them BRGs in different companies, but they're basically the same thing. So those are meant for and designed policy-wise for labor laws. And I'm sure there's a whole host of reasons um, for the full-time employee experience. And then there are what they call employee networks, um, or or let's just call them employee networks, which are kind of more across the board. Um, open and inclusive to to include the vendors because they don't have like specific processes, right? Like mm-hmm. um, they won't have get-togethers that are in, that are inclusive or by design exclusive, mm-hmm. but the other ones do. So the so the ERGs have those. So there's clearly two different paths, right? And so we kind of created our our neurodiverse spot in the center of that because we feel like we don't we don't want to out anybody, right? Because yeah. everybody should feel included, and that's kind of one of the big di- dividers of of our community and the, and the um, employee resource group is mm-hmm. they allow us to persist because we have kind of defined the model of how to move forward with inclusivity and we don't have yet <laughs> we don't have these uh, we don't have these functions that cross that line right mm-hmm. and so they allow us to kind of bake in the sun and enjoy some reap some of the benefits but at the same time eventually there's going to be a rub where those come together but I think when I think to, to both of those sides, I think um, the most important part is creating a community that is welcoming to its members, no matter w- what legal bounds there are Right? Like, mm-hmm. so for example, if, if you get into a community and then you feel like, you know, you don't have a space, a safe place to talk, well, what's the point of being in a community? So mm-hmm. we try to make it as open and as welcoming and as supportive as we can without having to, you know, moderate or you know manage all these policies or you know what I mean? like yeah. I don't know so it's um it's it's tough but I think community is building that community that organic community feel and then um ensuring that everybody knows it's a safe psychologically safe place mm-hmm. and then they'll begin to invest in their in themselves and then pretty soon nobody has to own it. It's just, it just goes by itself. And I think that's the most beautiful part about it. So if I was standing up frameworks, that's what I would say. And then obviously have, if you're able, have dollars to back that up and Mm. and keep it going and market it and all those different things. But
0: yeah. yeah. What are some of the practical pieces of making a community feel safe in your experience, at least for, in this context, not. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Um, for me it's just constant contact and and it's um personal authentic authenticity and so at, like everybody who gets who i think we're at 3100 people now um oh, that's everybody who joins our community like it goes through a request i see the request it pops up i send them a message with a whole bunch of resources in it and they reply more often than not with Hello? <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean? Hello? And they're like, oh, you're a real person. And I was like, yeah, it's not just some, <laughs> you know, random robot over here, just mm-hmm. you know. And so I think that that's probably one of the most key pieces is once they realized somebody is behind their curtain pulling the levers they're like oh this is different than most you know most groups you get it you know you just get some email or something that says you've been joined to the group and then the you know you're on line. your own yeah. so i think that the first part is is authentic authentically connecting with the people there and then they realize that this is different than most groups that's that's mm-hmm. been my um my my experience utmost that's probably the biggest one. Second to that is being um actively seeking and responding to feedback from everybody in there Mm -hmm. to make them feel safe so for example just last week somebody was like oh we have this like anonymous suggestion box where anything can go in there you just put whatever you want and then we we read it as like this little group of people and somebody was like you know disclosure obviously is a huge concept across all, all neurodivergencies but um how come we don't have an automatic or like an anonymous way to ask questions because I don't want to out myself by asking this question because I'm new to the group. Mm -hmm. Oh, well. And then a couple of days later, we create this, you know, anonymous post thing. And it's just like, you send it here, we'll push some buttons and then it'll post, you know, and we call it asking for a friend. And so it's like, somebody actually came up with that idea and then they see that come to fruition Mm -hmm. and then they know somebody's listening. Right. So it's, it's just like that, those kind of mechanisms, I think, are the most, the most profoundly impactful things that people can find to feel supported.
0: Yeah. And create trust. Yeah. That's yeah. Yeah. Trust. It, that's
1: what it's all. It is really great. Right? Cause <laughs> it's hard to trust a corporation with 130,000 people in it to be having your bet, you know, big brother is everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Guarantee he lurks in there. So
0: especially for even within that size of a corporation, if your group is 3,100 people, that's a big group you know yep. like it it must be i couldn't imagine coming into a group like that and even if your <laughs> facilitator i guess is mm-hmm. very responsive and very um authentic it's still a lot of pressure yeah. sometimes to connect with that, that absolutely that and like where do you start where do you start yeah, do you <laughs> what start? What you yeah right yeah. Like, yeah
1: yeah so yeah interesting it is very you- and, but some people you get on the other side who are just off like a rocket you're like well around. <laughs> that so you get both sides but
0: no that's true that's a good point do you have any sort of systems in place to support um so like obviously people with some neurodiversities have this kind of um disability lens or are coming from this place of of uh minority group but you also have like other minority groups in there right like you have people of color, you have people from different countries oh, yeah. you have people with english as a second language all these other things women so do you have any kind of ideas or what have you done to kind of support people who are multiply oppressed in a group like that that's so especially at a big tech company where yeah. there are certain types of people who tend to have more power
1: absolutely so um you just full you're just full of great questions oh. the uh <laughs> I, I think that personally, the best way to, to the best way that I found is, um, you know, building on top of the kind of things I said. You know, you have to have that safe space where people are willing to interact. Like, if if you try to hold a forum and nobody wants to talk, what's you're not going to get anything, yeah. anyways, right? So, if you're able to get um, people who are either on the on the top end of just like full open, full throttle, I just want to talk about this, uh, you know, no holds barred. And then you get people who are just kind of, de- you know, putting their toe in the water to figure it out. If you're able to get those people together, especially in those conflicting, like, demographics, mm-hmm. and and then to further that, you look at, like, the intersectionality between, like, it's really interesting for me because disability sits in the center. It's like a hub, right? Like, of all the other employee resource groups, you know, we have like blacks at Microsoft and we have, you know, women and we have like, you know, Ola and all these different ones. Mm-hmm. Right. But you can be black and disabled and a parent from the military. Like you, yeah. like there's so many different mixes, right. <laughs> but you have to be willing to talk about that at the center. And so you have to have common ground, but then you also have to have, I, I heard this term yesterday on a podcast. It was, um, uh, You know, like if they have a big conference, like they, like they have an agenda and they bring everybody together. Well, now they have this, they have this thing with this, I think it's called an unconference where you just find all of the people and you bring them together. And then Mm -hmm. you say, what do you want to talk about? And they create their own discussion. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of what you have to have is like, you can't have a set agenda and talk about ADHD and I'm black because that's kind of narrow. Right. But if you said I'm disabled and I'm any of these flavors from across this wheel, then you can have a really interesting conversation about how that Mm -hmm. falls for people personally. And they're more willing to talk about that. So I think that that's the most interesting part about, about um, that intersectionality is is one being willing to explore it two, finding people who will explore it with you. And then three, which actually could be number one is posing it as an experiment to realize that there's no expectation of this entire thing. Like we're just going to come together have a conversation. If we learn something cool, you know, if it fails and we still learn something, well, that's cool. We'll take that away too. And next time we'll make it different or make it better based on what we learned. Yeah. So yeah, that's, yeah.
0: Yeah, so approaching it from that growth perspective, uh, mm-hmm. we'll try it and we'll yeah. stretch a little bit. And if it doesn't work well, yeah. we got something out of it. Yeah, yeah. and it
1: might be uncomfortable. So uh, like mm-hmm. a lot, of, a lot of the things that we start, at least the the way I start a lot of conversations is I'm probably going to get this wrong. Mm -hmm. And there's probably going to be people (laughs) in the group or, you know, in the audience that are going to be like, that guy doesn't know what he's talking about, Mm -hmm. or, you know, he screwed that up and that's okay because I'm at least trying. Right. And if you come with the same, you know, ideal or the same, you know, outlook on it, that growth, like you're talking about, then how can we go wrong? Like Mm -hmm. we have to be able to explore invulnerability if we want to get anything, if we want to learn anything. So, you know. If you don't want to do that, then go sit somewhere else. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to be there. So, That's yeah.
0: one thing you learn as a coach, right? Is how to be wrong and take something from it and, and kind of move on. And, yeah. and it, as opposed to <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> getting stuck.
1: <laughs> right. Uh, I don't know. I don't what know. To say. I, yeah. Coaching's yeah. interesting, isn't
0: it? It's really, I really enjoy it so much. And yeah. it has stretched me and pushed me, but not pushed me, you know, past um, comfort zone or that's a wrong way to say it has pushed me past my comfort zone, but yeah. not into the 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 wilds, but more it, it constantly causes you to stretch out just a little farther, just a little yeah. farther, just yeah, yeah, yeah. All bit, depending on how will yeah.
1: how far you're willing to go into it, yeah. right? That's what's yeah. so interesting. But well, how what got you into coaching?
0: Oh, it's interview Danielle now. Um, yeah. I well, I started this podcast. <laughs> I started this podcast a month or two before the pandemic, and then there was a pandemic. And people are at home and people kind of found the podcast and the blog and were looking for Ah. resources. And it kind of like by total luck, because it was a, it was a very ADHD thing to start the podcast. I was just like, I'm just going to do this. And I put out like seven episodes (laughs) and then went away for a while. And it got like, not hugely popular, obviously, but it got some traction. And I was like, what is this? And then people started getting in touch and asking if I had resources. And after enough time of doing that, I was like, you know, I looked into coaching and went and enrolled in classes and did all that stuff. I could it do this like, myself. <laughs> there was a dearth and maybe you've, expe- I don't know, we should talk about what got you into coaching next, but there was, from my perspective, a dearth of resources specifically for autistic parents. There was a lot for people parenting autistic children um, and some for autistic single people like youth and, and young adults, but there was hardly anything for like me in my thirties falling over with an autistic kid mm. and, you know, an ADHD kid as an autistic person there was just, there wasn't Nothing. anything. Yeah. So I was like, I'm making this <laughs> you nice know? work. Yeah. Well, thank you. What got you into coaching? Cause that's, that's awesome. a relatively recent development. Is that true?
1: Yeah. It's in the last year. Actually, what got me into it was, um, well, it was a host of things, but ultimately, <laughs> ultimately what got me into it was also the pandemic. It was, yeah. um, I mean, if I'm being honest at Microsoft, we have uh, core values, three, three core values that we espouse. Um, accountability integrity and respect and so right before the pandemic a, a year into the pandemic so i at in Microsoft my official career is a software engineer or service engineer which doesn't matter because who really cares but <laughs> so it's engineering right like mm-hmm. you know coding and all these different things over the last Six years, maybe eight years. Um, I, I had a series of events happen where I was able to uncover who I really am and feel comfortable mm-hmm. with that at work, which le- led me to all these different things. But during that time, I, I kind of holistically grabbed onto these values as something that I t- they resonate with me, and I was like, mm-hmm. "Man, they, like these are really core. Like this is cool." So I kind of got out of engineering for a little while and I went to culture, focus on the culture work of Microsoft, yeah. and this was right before the pandemic hit, and so. I was doing this work and I I was, you know, and I was, it was like the dream job. Like, I'm like, Oh my God, every day I go to work. I'm like, this is, this is the greatest thing ever. Mm -hmm. And so as the pandemic began to slowly unfold, uh, they realized that, you know, there was going to be economic impact and you know all these different things. And so as a company does to isolate itself and its shareholders, you know, they begin to tighten, you know, batten down the hatches because there's going to be a storm. And so, you know, sometimes the first things that go away are in retrospect, the, maybe the most meaningful things that you've mm-hmm. began to work on and they're kind of on the fringes. So what happened was they got rid of that position and they said, you're going to have to go back to engineering. And I was highly resistant to that because, mm-hmm. you know, I'm at the mountaintop eating the milk and honey. And I'm like, I'm not going back. Yeah. Over there. <laughs> We're just going to be sick for a couple of days and we'll go back to work. It won't be a big deal. Right. And yeah. so I went back to engineering and what I found was that although you know, I'd been touting or reamplifying this message of these values uh, that the people that I had worked for and who you know had welcomed me back, they said one thing and did something completely different, mm-hmm. and so I there was misaligned, and I was like, well, wait a minute, and so it really hit me one day because now I'm you know working in my living room. And, you know, I'd gone away for 17 years to, you know, to work and I would come back and, you know, mm-hmm. you put on different hats and my family's here and they're not there. And when I would come home, you know, I'd be, you know, I'd try to put on my, you know, at home Todd face and <laughs> come back in the house. Well, when you can't escape work, cause you're working in your living room there, everybody gets to see, you know, what really happens, you know, yeah. as as far as how you carry yourself and clearly the pandemic added some stress to that, but oh, sure. I, there was one day when my wife was like you seem so unhappy at your computer. Like you're just in there pissing and moaning all the day long. And I was like, yeah. And she's like, why? I thought you loved your job. And I was like, oh, well, I don't know why. And so I took a leave of absence for three months and I went and sat in a yurt in the middle of this Island for a week or two. And I did a bunch of, internal reflecting. And what I realized was what I thought were my values weren't actually my values. And I was trying to adopt somebody else's values and make them fit. Mm. And so in doing that, I I became completely out of, you know, alignment and, you know, just lopsided in all cor- all sorts of things. And so that's what started the entire coaching thing. So I, I went back to work and I got a performance review that was less than I had ever got in my entire life. And I was like, it's because this is out of whack. And if my mm-hmm. values are to build this community, help these people and, you know, follow my mission, you know, to inspire everybody to be, you know, hopefully better than I've been based on my experience or sharing of my experience. Why don't I do something that aligns with that? And so coaching just became the next thing. And so I, I went, I went in with that intent of monetizing it to get out of this work that I've been doing. Which is crazy because, because <laughs> like I told you before the show started, like, I don't even feel like I should be charging because I'm just trying to do a service. Right. And there's, so there's a whole n- dichotomy there. But, but the most interesting part for me was as I started going through the the class, my, my minimum bar became I have never really invested in learning about ADHD myself. Like mm-hmm. I, it just got applied to me when I was eight and I was like, oh, okay, well, I guess I'll take all these drugs and do the best I can. Yeah. But when they started unfolding, like, here's the neuroscience, here's the tools, you know, that you probably missed. And that like, it started filling in all these pieces. I was like, man, like, you know, my, my son's ADHD, my grandkids guaranteed. And so it's <laughs> like, you know, now I'm like, well, I have a more equivocal stance and, and ground that I know b- more about myself. And I know more about how that I, how I can help to impact them. And so I'm still meeting my goal. It's just, it kind of, it, the target kind of moved. So yeah. yeah. So that's what got me into it. Really and then, cool. and then now like I, I help people at Microsoft, like we have, obviously we have benefits for coaching and all kinds of stuff through accommodations, but um, the nuance of, of where I see myself at Microsoft is because of the, length of my tenure there people are like oh well you must have seen this or what's your advice on this so it's so it's a weird quasi not quite coaching kind of mm-hmm. kind of giving advice which you're not supposed to do if you're a coach but it but it definitely fits the the demand or or like the hunger for that kind of insight so that's where i'm at now but yeah, yeah it sounds
0: story. like the sort of the coach approach but also like the mentorship right the, yeah it's a yeah the, it's
1: a mix yeah for sure yep
0: yeah combining those roles is really hard
1: <laughs> yeah yeah it feels wrong because they teach you when you go to coaching at least that's what i picked up from absolutely never give advice and i'm like "Mm, but
0: people want that
1: right like so it's interesting
0: i have been interested as also a a neurodivergent coach who coaches neurodivergent people Mm -hmm. that um i try to share information and not advise like i agree with you that generally giving advice is not uh usually ethical or, or appropriate yeah but there are some cases where you're like i you know, <laughs> I'm just going to throw these resources at you and hope that you take from them what I get from them, which is don't yeah. do that thing, you know? Um, <laughs> it's really tricky, yeah. especially when you're working with people who are sort of new to their neurotype or new to their understanding of what ADHD or autism or whatever it is, is. And it's like, you just want to download all this yeah. information for their brains for them, so you know? Yeah. So yeah, yeah I, have, I have felt that. Yeah. That's hard.
1: yeah, but you have to preface it with, uh, do you mind if I share some resources with
0: you? Yes, exactly. Yeah, you don't <laughs> just throw things at people, you, no. you, you know. Here, do this. People, people will meet, meet those resources when they're ready and not, not before, mm-hmm. right? So there's only whatever you yep. can do, but yeah. yeah. So do you foresee this kind of role of like the mentor coach at Microsoft? sustaining you for a bit or are you still considering shifting into a more sort of tra- I guess traditional independent coach role or something uh, else
1: no I think it'll sustain for a bit so I'm fortunate that um and I don't know if I was telling you during the show or before but m- like my kids are getting old right and mm-hmm. so like I don't have all of these things because it used to be I mean, I still have a mortgage, right? I still have a wife like spend money and I like spend money myself. So you become comfortable <laughs> with like, you know, what you have, yeah. but I could live with substantially less. And I'm, mm-hmm. and each day I'm realizing like for the amount of toil that I put into being unhappy doing the thing that I don't want to do that I now know I don't want to do like, what's the pay, where's the rub, right? Like yeah. what's the payoff in that? And so. I can keep, I can keep it afloat long enough, like to, you know, I'm pretty proficient mm-hmm. at my job. So I keep that going in order to do the things that still fill me up. At some yeah. point, there will be an, an, an unbalance. Is that a word? Yeah. There, in- yeah, yeah. Yeah. Imbalance. There it is. <laughs> There'll be an imbalance and then I'll have to choose one way or the other. And mm-hmm. I will probably be more towards helping people because I'm kind of sunsetting in my life and that's what fills me up more. So I don't,
0: yeah. The service know. aspect is really fulfilling for me too. So yeah, I feel that. Yeah, but well, you're right. It's hard to uh, balance the the income generation with the service aspect. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Especially when like you see it as advantage. a service, right? Yeah yeah. For sure. yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. You know, we need more people like us, especially <laughs> like you. They, they find the spot in the middle, and then they're like, "Wait, we could do something about that to make that better." I think that that's a yeah. that's a good trait. So, well, also
0: just the work that. Well, thank you. But also, you know, the neurodiversity group at Microsoft is kind of famous for the (laughs) in the in the context of at least these circles is famous for a good reason that the amount of resources and and like you said financial capital that's kind of been thrown at this project but to do some of those kind of testing experimenting pieces so that you know people with less capital or just sitting out here like can still access it that's Mm -hmm. so fantastic and it must be so exciting to be part of that even if it's not your main job yeah just to like it's pretty cool yeah
1: sometimes it's it's interesting because sometimes it's hard to see the forest or the trees right because the politics is always like ever present like it's Uh, always over here like hey, you can't really do that and so you're like well you know why don't we shake it a little bit and I think that's where it helps to be a neurodivergent individual within the ranks of trying to do neurodivergent work because you're not constrained by those box like you know like I don't i'll just question anything because why because i'm just curious (laughs) you know they might not want to tell you but Mm -hmm. maybe by you asking that question will change the outcome of what they thought they we needed right and so i I think that that's very interesting to think about all the time but yeah it's cool
0: yeah i like it if you ever
1: see a spot where we could do better you're like hey i wonder what microsoft's doing just let me know because i'll definitely feel you
0: (laughs) thank you yeah yeah it's your point about that is really interesting because i also you know, much more kind of on the ground level working with individuals rather than with a huge company. But um, you do see people in, I guess, neurotypical society, neurotypical culture. I don't know how to phrase that, but like there are certain expectations that things will just go this way. And when you question those expectations, a lot of times they will like change their minds, but Mm -hmm. they just never thought to question the expectation. (laughs) But then we're coming at it from this outside going, how is this even an expectation Where did it yeah. come from? what is this for you know how many of you people so, got
1: together and made this up because that's yeah, crazy
0: yeah yeah and it's just sort of this is the way it's been right and so when you when you uh i was going to say challenge but i think a lot of times we don't even mean to challenge it right we're not like trying to take authority over it we're just sort of like but it's why question. yeah yeah exactly. yeah so that's yep. a really good point yeah cool all right yep. well <laughs> thanks so much for being here today yeah, i really appreciate, I appreciate it, it. this is yeah. a great discussion yeah. for sure <laughs>
1: Thank you. I appreciate it. Have a good day.
0: Yeah, you too. Thank you so much for joining us on the NeuroDiverging Podcast today. Check out the links below and in the show notes for more information on Todd and his podcast. We have a transcription available for folks who would like it at NeuroDiverging.com. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please consider putting some money in the pot to support it through Ko-fi, PayPal, or the Patreon. Patreon.com slash NeuroDiverging. Links are all below in the show description. I look forward to seeing you again in the next podcast. And please remember, we are all in this together.